Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me again, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hi, and I'd just like to thank all the people who downloaded and or streamed this podcast. Excellent. That's very nice of you. Yes, I'd also like to thank our guest producer, Matt Frederick. <laughs> Amazing musician. Member of Lions and Scissors. Matt, and I know you would do nothing to ever interrupt us in our podcast. Isn't that true? Matt's nodding yes. And he finished the uh, Beatles rock band in one day. He did finish the Beatles rock band in one day. He played the drums on Expert all the way through. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So uh, actually, you know, the Beatles were uh, were recently rumored to be coming to iTunes store and, and they didn't. Yeah. And actually, they, they've, they've been people have been waiting for this to happen. And there's a reason why they haven't come out yet with the digital versions of their songs. What would that be? That would be copyright. Ooh, copyright. Now, here's a sticky situation. Now, of course, copyright does not just fall in under the realm of tech stuff. Technically, many of our, our sister podcasts could cover this topic. 
But copyright does hold a special place within the field of technology because things like the Internet have made it very easy to distribute information on a scale much larger than what could be achieved on one's own previously, correct? Oh, yes. I mean, the idea of copyright goes back a very, very long time. And uh, it was only recently, really in the 20th and or, uh, you know 21st centuries, that copyright has been extended to amazing lengths. I mean, the, in the United States, the current length of copyright is the death of the author plus 70 years. Right. And if it's an uh, anonymous work or pseudo anonymous work, a work for hire, these works go 95 years from the year of its publication. Wow. So, you know, when you can't necessarily identify the author, 95 years from when it was published, that's a long time. And there are various organizations that are responsible, really, for pushing copyright to these extremes. Yeah, and really, it's it's not – in most cases, it's not the author, and it's not like the government is concerned about it. It's more like the publisher. Yeah, or giant corporations. Well, yeah. I can think of one in particular. Yes, I know. You, actually, they, the, the corporation I think you're thinking of is generally given credit for... I just uh, won't say it's a Mickey Mouse operation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> but copyright, it does it does uh, cover, it protects works for a very long time. And what does it protect it from, you might ask? Well, I mean, people want to, uh, they come up with these neat ideas and they're able to sell lots and lots of copies of these ideas to other people who want to read about them or watch them or listen to them. Um, and, and that's understandable, but it's those people who, um, want to share those with other people and maybe not, you know, paid. Right. So what, let's, let's use a, a specific example because this is getting kind of vague. vague. It's getting yes, a little yes. hard to Extremely, understand. Extremely, I'm sorry. So let's say that you've published a book and you've called the book, uh, The Heaving Bosom. So you've got The oh, Heaving geez. Bosom. It's your, it's your bodice ripper romance novel and you're really excited about it. Okay. Um, so you've, you've gone and you've published it and then someone comes out with a book called The Heaving Boobs. Seriously. What? That's, you're coming up with this. How about say, how about keeping abreast of the situation? Oh. So they come up with a book called Keeping Abreast of the Situation. And <laughs> Chris has actually left the room. Do you want to go back? <laughs> no, I'm Are we going to keep going? Yes. All right, cool. Keeping abreast of the situation. And it turns out that the book is word for word the same as The Heaving Bosom. Uh-oh. Now, this would be a problem, obviously, because the, you, as the author of The Heaving Bosom, you are due the the uh the rewards that come as a result of selling this work. Yes, and what's really irritating is that book is $2 cheaper than my book and is outselling it now that it's cheaper because someone else can get the same content for less. Right. So uh now what copyright does is it gives the person who published the book originally, in this case you, who have published The Heaving Bosom, uh, a legal recourse to to pursue a claim against someone who has violated that copyright. And so you can protect your intellectual property so that it remains yours. And, uh, and that way it prevents other people from capitalizing on your work. And then, you know, you wouldn't see anything from that, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole basis of copyright. It's not a bad thing on its own. In fact, it's very important. Anyone who's a creator, uh, wants to be able to protect his or her own work, at least to some extent. Mm-hmm. Now, copyright, that that takes effect as soon as you create something. Yes, as soon as it is fixed, a fixed work. 
You yeah. do not have to send a form into the federal government, although you can. Right. That's, um, that's registering your copyright. But yeah. You, you know, you don't have but, to register a copyright to hold a copyright. Right. If you, if you write a blog post and hit the publish button, that's copyright you. Yeah. Uh, same thing for any kind Assuming of written of work, it's... musical work, any, any sort of recorded work, even an image you can mm-hmm. copyright. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anything that you produce, uh, creatively, assuming that that's created through your own work, it's not something that's derived from something else. You hold the copyright to it. Yes. Now, not everyone agrees with these rules. I mean, some people are a little bit more lenient. Some people say, hey, you know, I created this song and I want to share it with all my friends on the Internet and want you to remix it and cut it up and do whatever you want to with it. And I want to hear what you what you do with it. Yeah. And the so pro- what do you do in that case? I the, mean, that's not right. covered in the in the, you know. U.S. code. Right. Copyright law doesn't, uh, doesn't cover for this. It's, it's very inflexible. I mean, things are under copyright and you're either violating it or you're not. And, and it's getting more inflexible. Right. Yeah. Even things like fair use. People bring up the concept of fair use. Fair use is incredibly difficult to prove. Yeah. Fair use is, um, fair use is a very contingent situation. Yes. For, it's, it's, it's so hard to define. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with fair use, you are allowed to use some of something in something else. Like, for example, say you're writing a book, a nonfiction book, and you would like to put a a quote from someone else's book in there. Well, you're allowed to do that. But the thing is, it has to be of a certain length and it has to be what they call transformative, which means, you know, if you want to put half a paragraph of somebody's book in to illustrate your point and illustrate it as, hey, this is something that Mr. Smith wrote about. And I think it's an incredibly important thing. And you set it off as a quote. You're probably not going to get sued for that. Now, if you, you know, lift the entire paragraph and don't change a word, then it's not, you're not really transforming it in any way. You're, you know, and that's, that's actually what the transformative part is what gives the right to people like Weird Al who want to do a parody. Right. He often takes pretty much the same song, maybe changes it into a different key and then adds new words to it. Well, he's transformed it into a new song by doing that. So technically he would not have to ask permission, although we should point out that, that he, he does. Yes, he always does. He does ask permission, though technically under the the, the rules of fair use, he doesn't have to, but he, he takes that extra step. Yeah. So good on you, Weird Al. Yeah. Now, uh, specifically Section 107 of the, the copyright code, uh, it, it states that uh, it sets out four factors to be considered in determining determining whether or not a particular use is fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here are the four things. The purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes. Yep. Nonprofit is generally considered better if you're trying to argue fair use. Yep. Uh, the nature of the copyrighted work. The amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole, so how much you create on your own and how much you actually cite from other works. Mm-hmm. And the effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work. In oh, other that's words, that's a big one right yeah, there. Yeah. In other words, if, if, if you include this in your work and somehow that impacts the sales of the original work, that's a bad thing. Yep. That's saying, or unless it impacts it in a positive way, like it makes people go out and buy some other book, that's okay. But if you, if people say, Hey, I don't need to buy the original book because I can get enough of it out of this system here, mm-hmm. that's bad. Yep. And, um, uh, and again, you, you know, Palette was talking earlier about, you know, you don't, you, if you get to a certain length, a certain amount of material, 
that might violate fair use. Here's another problem. That length is not defined. Nope. There is no definition to how many words you can use or how much, how even a percentage of the content that you can use before you violate fair use. It's a case by case basis. Yep. And that's a, uh, that's a problem because it's going to be up to a judge to decide this. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you write a 263 page book and you use a paragraph out of somebody's work, that's really not that substantial, all things considered. Of course, your lawyer is going to have to prove that. However, if you write a half-page long poem and two-thirds of it is somebody else's, that's really an awful lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's – but let's say that you have created a work. Okay. And you want to be able to distribute this as widely as possible. Right. And you know, before the internet, you really only had – Two options. You had an option of going with some sort of publication uh, corporation. Mm-hmm. So either you know a, a like a, a corporate publisher, right? Exactly. Like they're publishing novels, or or it's a music publisher, whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever kind of art you're creating, uh, you would have to go to to a major publisher to get widespread distribution. Yeah, like you're you got an agent and they sign you to a deal, right? Not a self publisher, right? Now that's your other choice, right? Is you go to a self publisher, also known as Vanity Press, for mm-hmm. people who are writing, uh, and in this case, you would pay. Uh, the the publisher directly to publish these books and then you would try and sell them. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, of course, is that your distribution is usually pretty limited with yeah. vanity publishing. First of all, it's limited by your budget because you're the one paying to have all these books or CDs pressed or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, it's limited by however widespread you can you can get the word out for people to actually purchase this stuff. It's limited by how far, how much gas you have in your tank, and how many bookstores there are in your neighborhood. Now, I'm sitting here with one musician across the table from me, and another one staring uh, holes in the back of my head, and uh, and both of them, I, I'm sure, uh, are very familiar with the uh, concept of self-publishing. Absolutely. So, the internet gives uh, people a new opportunity to to distribute their work in a much more wider scale than they ever could on their own without it. Oh, yeah? So you can upload songs, you can upload an entire novel if you wanted to, and you can distribute it any way you like. Now, some people, they want to foster a creative um, spirit on the Internet. Mm-hmm. They want their work not just – seen by people who enjoy it, but they want people to take their work and transform it. Perhaps, uh, you know, a musician may want, re- want to encourage people to remix his or her songs. Right. Um, and, and the problem with copyright is there's no real recourse for you to do this. What you have to do is create a license agreement. Mm-hmm. Now, license agreements, if you, you know, there's, if you're just going for a specific one, you pretty much have to hire a lawyer. And work with the lawyer to hash out a license agreement that's that fits both your your needs and the person who wants to license the the work. You know what would be really cool? What's that? It'd be really cool if there were like a template and you could you know some, that somebody had created you know somebody like a legal expert and they could say, well, you know what? If you want to license it this way, go with option A. If you want to license it another way, lot. Go with option B and options C, D, E, and F are also available if you want to make parts of it available for people to use or if you want to restrict it completely. In fact, that is such a good idea that other people have had it. No. Yes, that's the birth of the Creative Commons. <laughs> so Creative Commons is a way of licensing work mm-hmm. so that you can uh, tell people what what you do and do not want folks to do with the stuff you've created. That's right. And um, it's not the same as copyright. No, it's, it's, it's really, it's really 
a, a kind of a supplement to copyright. It's an idea that this tells people what you want them to be able to do, uh, whether or not you want them to be able to take your work and then add to it or, or you know, transform it in some way. Uh, it also gives people the the guidelines they need to follow in order to do that, mm-hmm. because one of the the aspects of Creative Commons is that uh, you know you you may want to make sure people attribute the original work to you so that people can trace back all the way to the source of the original material. Right. So attribution is very important in creative commons. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's part of the license. So if people, you know, decide to try and use creative works that are licensed under creative commons, one of the things they're supposed to do is attribute the original work. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there are guidelines specifically on how things need to be attributed. A lot of that is left up to the creator. Um, You know, whether they want to be, uh, Mentioned by name or by a handle or both, um, whether or not, you know, you should include a website as well, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, uh, and this covers all sorts of creative material like, uh, the books, short stories, music, images, uh, not software. Mm-hmm. Software, you, you could technically cover it under Creative Commons, but the, the people who drafted Creative Commons, um, suggest that you don't do that. Well, there are other options for that too. Right, exactly. That's, that's one of the, um, that's one of the reasons they suggest that you shouldn't use Creative Commons for software because there are other choices out there that are better. Yep. Now, um, Creative Commons actually hasn't been around for a terribly long time. Actually, it's a 21st century, uh, creation. Um, the Center for the Public Domain had a lot to do with it and there were a lot of people involved with it, um, you know, probably the most recognizable name is uh, Lawrence Lessig, who's a, a lawyer and has been cited very, very frequently as an expert in uh, in copyright and other related and licensing and all sorts of related things. He's uh, he's an author, and um, a lot of a lot of times, um, you know, he gets asked about the these weird situations because you know before the digital age. Really, copyright was a lot easier to pin down, and now there are all these methods of distribution that are causing the corporate organizations headaches. Um, there are all sorts of uh, other um, contingencies, like bands wanting to allow you to have access to their Pro Tools files to go ahead and, and make changes to the original songs without, you know, even taking the finished tracks. I mean, these things are, are things that would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's important that, uh, that Creative Commons licensing and, uh, and public domain licensing overall is becoming more robust because it's enabling people to fiddle around with it a little bit more. And the funny thing I think about, uh, the licensing issues is that, um, some of the corporations are starting to loosen up a little bit and allow authors and other artists to, you know, distribute these things more freely, like, uh, for example, Nine Inch Nails making their files available um, and uh, authors like Cory Doctorow making entire books available for a short time, um, you know, online for free. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, what they're finding out is it sells more copies of the actual protected copyrighted work. Right. Yeah. I've, I've seen, uh, people who publish books and music under the Creative Commons do quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Colton does very well sure. with his He's a musician. Music. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the important thing to remember is that Creative Commons doesn't 
stop anyone from selling anything. No. Um, you, you can, you can license your work under Creative Commons and still sell it for a profit. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. In fact, right. that's, that's not the purpose of Creative Commons. Mm-hmm. It's really to give you options so that people know what they can and can't do with your work. Mm-hmm. Um, it really comes down to, to the, Key term, what they call the key terms of the core suite of Creative Commons licenses. Suite. Yeah. So attribution is one of those. We already mm-hmm. mentioned that. Right. So that's letting people, you know, know that they need to mention your name in regards to the work you created before mm-hmm. they do anything with it. And there's share alike. Yes. And that allows other people to, uh, create, distribute, or distribute derivative works. Right. But only under the same share alike license. Right. So if you make a, a derivative and make a distribution of that, then you have to let other people share too. Right. In other words, let's say that you take a song and you remix it. Mm-hmm. You can't tell people, hey, don't take this remix and remix that. Yeah, my remix is copyright. No, yeah, you, you can't, can't do, do that. that. No. It has to fall under the same the same parameters as the work that you took in the first place. Yep. Uh, there's non-commercial, which of course means that you're not able to use the work in any way that would, um, you know, essentially you can't use it in a way to make money. Mm -hmm. You can't use it for commercial uses. This one's really tricky because let's say that you have a song that you really like that has been published under the Creative Commons license Mm -hmm. and you should be able to play that song on your website. Like you want to, and you know, you're going to attribute it and everything. Mm -hmm. But let's say that you also have ads on that site Mm -hmm. and you get money from the ads now, even if the ads are not directly associated with the song, there does there's the, a gray area there. The site is actually being used for a commercial purpose. You're right. using it to make money. Yeah, and if the song can be, if you know, if you were to say, well, the song's part of that. The song is part of the reason why people are visiting the site. Then, therefore, the song is part of the reason why you're making money. That may or may not fall under the non-commercial umbrella. It's it's a a, a gray area. That's one of the more difficult ones to define. Mm-hmm. The final one is no derivatives. This is, is where you let people copy it, display it, distribute it, but they can't make derivative versions, remixes or anything like that. Yeah. If you write a song and want to change the lyric and somebody else wants to, you know, you publish it under this license, somebody else wants to, you know, rewrite the second verse, they can't do it because it's verbatim. You have to right. do it the same way. Now, let's say that you publish something and you put it under the Creative Commons license. Okay. And then later on, you decide that you want to change that. Okay. Here's the problem. Uh-oh. Yeah, here's the problem. You can't really do that because it violates the whole idea of the Creative Commons license in the first place. Let's say that you've allowed people to make remixes of your songs for uh, for three months. You know, you've got this one song under the Creative Commons license, and you you had had it so that people could use the share alike, and then you decide, you know what, I don't, I don't really want that to happen anymore. I want to change that. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of violates the whole spirit of Creative Commons. So you can't really do that. For one thing. How do you prove someone got hold of your song after you changed the parameter of your agreement? If someone yeah. got hold of your song from before, they got it under the Creative Commons license that said that they could share it. If they got it after, then they said that, you know, they couldn't share it anymore. Um, you can't really prove that. It's really hard to, to prove, hey, I, I got a hold of this digital copy back when you said it was okay, uh, not after you said it wasn't okay. Right. So, if you're going to publish something on a Creative Commons, just keep in mind that it's it's pretty much a switch that stays on once you flip it on. Yep. Uh, doesn't that, mean you can't. Again, doesn't mean that you can't sell things and make money off of them. It just means that the the conditions that you agreed to at the beginning are you're pretty much stuck with those. 
And it seems like since it's a legal agreement, then it should conceivably hold up in a court of law. Right. But again, when you're talking about using Creative Commons, um, this again is a supplement to copyright law. Right. If, if you are the owner of the work, uh, then you're going to be using your, your copyright as the basis of your argument, not Creative Commons necessarily. Right. Right. Uh, now, if you're the person being accused, you might be using Creative Commons as your protection, saying, look, this work was licensed under Creative Commons. I followed the parameters. I attributed. I didn't use it for commercial purposes. It's blah, a license. Blah, blah. Exactly. So therefore, since I'm covered under the license, there's no, there's no uh, uh, substance to the complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the defense on the person who is using the, the work. You, as the person who created the work, you would rely upon copyright law. Right. And the copyright itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like we said, if you create a work, it's under copyright. If you register it, that kind of helps if you're defending your copyright in court. Uh, not that you can't defend a copyright in court without registering. You, mm-hmm. you can. Oh, it's, yeah. just, it's just more difficult. Right. It's easier to defend a copyright if you've registered it. Right. It also tends to make people think twice because – it just it carries with it a certain kind of a gravitas because it's official. You just wanted to use the word gravitas because I, I it sounds heavy. It's the secret word for today. <laughs> Everybody scream. Ah. Oh, good Pee Wee Herman Vans. All right, then. What? Well, don't really have a lot more on Creative, on creative Commons. Commons. Yeah. Um, the, the one other thing I will mention okay. is that uh, just a tiny thing is that you can actually do search searches for Creative Commons material, which is very handy. Oh, if you let's say that you've got a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, you're an amateur podcaster and you're not making any money off of the podcast and you want, you know, a really cool song to play in the background of your podcast. Uh-huh. You can go through Creative Commons and find stuff uh, published under Creative Commons. Um, you can do searches in, in different uh Using the, the Creative Commons as a as a one of the parameters of your search, and find music that other people wrote that you know, they'll be more than happy for you to use it as long as you again follow the the rules. You know, you attribute it, you don't use it for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. So that's another benefit is that it helps you find resources that you can't produce on your own mm-hmm. to uh, to make your own work that much more attractive. Yep. And as a matter of fact, uh, if you're a Firefox browser fan, then there is a plugin that you can use and add it to your search listings. You know, Very I, handy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, now I am done. Okay, then. Then let's move on to listener mail. Nice. So this listener mail comes from John. And John says, hey, guys, I just recently started listening to your podcast. Great stuff. I was listening to the augmented reality one and recalled that some work had been done at my alma mater, the University of North Dakota School of Engineering and Mines Mechanical Engineering Department. I remembered that some people had used augmented reality to play Pac-Man and Doom. Couldn't find a link, but it was done in Australia. Very cool stuff. Keep up the good work, John. Thanks, John. Yeah, augmented reality has been one of those things that people, you know, creative minds find really cool things to do with augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always think of the very simple stuff, like looking at, a, you know, a restaurant and seeing the review. Right. But there are so many other applications. And, of course, we only went into one or two of them. Uh, people who find ways to create augmented reality games, 
awesome. <laughs> so if any of you have any comments, questions, criticisms, that sort of thing, you can email us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can learn all about copyright at howstuffworks.com. I encourage you to do that because it's one of those really complicated things that can really affect all of us, especially if we use the web a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, Tech Stuff Live. We do a Tech Stuff Live show 1 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday. You can go to the Tech Stuff blog uh, over on HowStuffWorks.com. Check it out. Uh, Chris and I desperately try to inform you of the, the technology news of the week. And we do it with amazing special effects Ooh. provided by Matt Frederick of Lions and Scissors. <laughs> And I hope that uh, you enjoyed this episode. Remember, give us great reviews on iTunes because we like that. Mm-hmm. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.